All right, guys. So we are in Genesis 38. We are moving along. Y'all ready to rock? Genesis 38. I um, if you guys, if you have young kids, I mean, you need to really. Uh, what they're doing in our Sunday schools is awesome. Uh, the, the picture that they have from last week, because basically what they're doing is they take the teachings uh, from what, whatever we're teaching on here, and then they actually teach upstairs, which is really cool. And it was a cool depiction of what Leon taught, because it was like this, well, I just thought it was cool. It was like this dude being thrown in a big old ditch, you know, and um, there, you know, the whole Joseph story. And I thought it was a really cool picture because that's where you guys were last week. You were dealing with the beautiful story of God's sovereignty when looking at uh, this figure, Joseph, Joseph being raised up uh, to basically we'll see what his what his narrative ends up being. But for some reason, it seems like God's hand is on this dude's life, even though it doesn't look like it, because only bad things are happening uh, to this brother. Um, if you need Bibles, uh, that's what Leon is doing right now. He's passing out some Bibles. Go ahead and grab that. If you want to write down uh, notes, because we're going to be in a crazy chapter today. Turn on the back of your programs. And you should be able to write down notes. And finally, if you want to ask questions, we are totally cool with that. Uh, we just ask that they will bring honor and glory to Christ and that it can really equip and edify the body. And if not, um, if you feel like you just want to ask something personal that's coming to me afterwards, that's totally cool. Um, so we, so we, we, that was our chapter last week. Um, we've just been plotting along from understanding that God is big and holy and great and good and man is all bad. And then basically what God has been doing it for the last 30-something chapters is proving that. Um, and so through his cause and uh, through him creating man out of his abundance, uh, through us continually sending him, destroying man, but then him, but then God choosing a remnant for himself. Uh, he continues to protect. He shows him choosing the remnant because I'm gracious, not because you're good. Uh, the, the story continues on where he beelines to a specific family, uh, the family of Abraham, uh, where we will see basically uh, the Savior come from. And so Abraham is sort of the beeline. Then we see Abraham's kids. We see a messed up Abraham. Then we see a messed up Isaac. Uh, then we get we get a messed up Jacob. Right. And so so we just basically we're continually thinking, you know, before you read Genesis, you're thinking, man, you know, you, you hear Jacob, you hear these names all the time in the New Testament or when you read the Bible. They must be really, really cool people. They must have done all these cool things. And then I'm just watching the face of all of us as we continue to read chapter after chapter. And we just see not just kind of bad things, but absolutely deplorable, crazy things. And what it does, it should give you hope. It gives us hope because it shows us that we are evil and that's why we need Christ. And so, and I hope it also, at some level, I hope what it does, I hope it trains us to take off the false pretense and quit trying to have it all together. Because God is showing you that some of the patriarchs in the Bible were, you know, letting people get raped and were sleeping with people they shouldn't have been sleeping with and having all kind of wives and doing all kind of crazy stuff. And so, so he's already untold on us. He's saying this is the best of the crop. You see what I'm saying? So for you to act like you're better than them, you, he, he you already, he already told on you, you lying, be okay with being messed up and just trust the Lord. And see, we can have more fun when we all know we foul, right? Now I ain't got to be fake. You ain't got to be fake. We can just say, I'm foul, you foul, but we, we love the Lord. We pursue in holiness and it is what it is, right? It's all, you know, when you try to play the game, now, I, one thing I'm going to tell you, I, there's this one rich guy. He's kind of, just be honest, he's super arrogant, if I can be honest. And, um... But the one thing I like about this guy is I was talking to him, and we, me and Leon laugh about this a lot, because he said to me out the blue, he was like, I was like, man, he's so crass and so upfront and blunt and just like, I mean, he just like, boom, he just tells you. 
And I, and I was thinking, I'm like, why are you so like this? You know, and when he, just, he said at breakfast, me, he was like, Eric, I know people wonder why I'm like this. He was like, but see, you know, people don't like me, but at least I'm honest. And he was like, and you know what? I don't have to spend a lot of energy wondering what lie I told. He's like, he's like, I ain't got to go. Now, what did I tell you and how did I act with you? He's like, I'm just who I am. So I'm really energetic because I'm not I'm not exhausted trying to have all these different people and be all these different people to different people. I thought you arrogant and foul, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, I thought you can learn something from anybody. Right. I know that's deep. I thought, you know what? You crazy, but that's deep. Um, so, so that's what the story is. If you're new here, I, I, I usually go through the whole thing, but it takes a while. So what we're going to do, we're going to jump into chapter 38. What's happening here right now is you have this family. Uh, so, so, so Jacob has had 12 sons, okay, and he has a daughter. And now, again, the story of God, redemptive history, is focusing in on his family because he's trying to continue, because the, the writer, Moses, is trying to show us something. And then what he does here, he's going to focus in on a specific member of the family. And so last week, we saw what the brothers did to Joseph, and now we enter into uh, the specific person, Judah. Okay, have you guys heard of Judah before? Okay. When you think of Judah, what do you think? What, what, what comes to your mind? When you, see, when, you, when you hear Judah, what do you think? Okay, I think lion. I think of lion of Judah, lion of Judah. You know, I feel like if you don't even know the scripture, you think lion of Judah. So that sounds kind of cool, right? Must be a cool brother. Well, let's read. All right. So we start, we're going to start the story. Verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 38. Stick with me. Um, trying, it says, at the time, we're in verse 1, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Harah. Okay, so what? The, so the author begins the story. First of all, where did we last see Judah? Come on. Okay, so last time we were, we, Judah was mentioned, thanks, Rage. He was a slave trader, right, at some level, right? He's selling his brother, okay? Can you imagine? So this, this is Judah. This is your lion, all right, he's son of his brother, okay? So now we get into the picture. This is verse 1. Judah now, so he's with this, he's part of a Christian family, right? We, at some level, we know these, these patriarchs, they're all crazy, but they're these, they're these Christians. And he leaves the whole family, the scriptures say, and he goes to um, Adullam in verse, verse 1, which I propose to you. He's now wanting to go hang with unbelievers, okay? And we're going to see that in a moment. And so you know, you ever heard of... Uh, uh, the man of Adullam named Hurrah. You, so you know that this is probably not the people of God. So he's with unbelievers. And then it says in verse 2, there Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named uh, Shua. Okay, so is she a believer or unbeliever? How do we know? There's my, my people, look at my little exegetes. Okay, so you got... You got the Canaanite woman. She's an unbeliever. He's hanging with unbelieving people. Okay, so the story's already starting off kind of weird. Okay. Now I was going to pause here because you know, and I, I want to meddle a little bit. I just want to make sure that we understand something. That the scriptures continually are teaching us. When you go to verse after verse, as we look at these different chapters, and we've been doing the family thing for a while now, notice consistency where the author starts things off, and he'll show you. He'll say, "Okay, here's what's going. Here's what's going on with this person, and look at his influence." Notice that. Notice that the, the story starts off by, "Okay, here's a believing dude, but he's hanging with a bunch of unbelievers." It starts off like that. And I was going to propose that, so I don't know where, where many of you are, but, you know, we've, we've all been here, right? When you, want to, when you want to wild out and sin, do you call the brother in that group? No, because he's going to tell you something, right? Who you call? You call that dude that you know want to wild out too. 
right? You call your boy, you call your girl, you know, who doesn't love Jesus because they're going to be about the flesh. And they're going to encourage you in the flesh. They're going to encourage you in the flesh to consume and die. So that's what we do. So and it seems the story starts off like, okay, you got a dude here who's knowing he has his family, but he doesn't you know, see him hang with them. He's starting with these unbelievers. Verse two in the middle. He hangs out with this woman, unbeliever, and he marries her. Where's the family? Where the brothers? Right? Where's Jacob? He marries her and lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son uh, who was named Ur. Okay? Verse four. She conceived again. Now, see, is this this supposed to be happening? No, the the author's trying to set a set a stage here that things are going wrong because you have unbelievers. You have unbelievers kicking it with believers and believers kicking with unbelievers. And in Corinthians, it talks about we shouldn't be unequally yoked. That 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 if you if you're kicking it right now, if you got a man and he doesn't love the Lord, you need to get rid of him. All right. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. All right. Y'all crazy. All right, so, so the, 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 but, 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 but as you study the Bible, I want you to build some Bible study skills. Just think about that. Look at how he's setting the picture. Look at what the author's trying to do here. He's trying to set the stage. This isn't just happenstance. This is very intentional. It's not just a recording of history. Even when they record history, they have, they, they're trying to communicate something to the people of God. And that's why they record it in different ways, to make a point. Okay, guys? So check this out. So, so we, uh, he married her and lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a surname who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. Now, if any of y'all ran ahead, y'all, I think a lot of y'all waiting to see what I do with Onan, right? Onan is a nut ball. We'll see in a moment. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Check this out. Verse 5. So then she gave birth still. So, that, how many, so you have, they have two sons so far, right? She gave birth still to, to, to still another son and named him Sheila. All right, named him Sheila. Okay, can you imagine your name? Uh, yeah, that, that's crazy. It was at Kezeb that she gave birth to him. Okay, so here's where here's how we're starting. So verse six it says Judah got a wife for her. So 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 Judah comes in the picture here. Uh, he gets a wife for his. His son, his firstborn, which shows some sense of leadership, hopefully. I mean, um, I'm trying to give the brother something. And her name was Tamar or Tamar. You guys ever heard of Tamar? Okay. All right. So this is where she's at. Okay. So he goes and gets Tamar. Um, Is Tamar uh, an Israelite? No. She's not an Israelite. How do we know? Because he's hanging with the people. He's hang- Remember, he's in the wrong environment. Okay? So, so you have Tamar, who, this is going to be, this is, look at this story. So you have Tamar, she comes in, he gets Tamar. But, but Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Alright? Alright, so the Lord killed him. Okay, it doesn't tell you what he did. It tells you that he was wicked in the Lord's sight and the Lord killed him. Okay, when you, when you read that, when I read that, what does that make you think? What does it make you feel? Nervous? Matt? Uh-huh. 
So yeah, so you think, okay, so why did he just kill him and not, why didn't he kill all evil people? I got an answer. Because he's gracious. So if that's true, if he could kill everybody that's evil, but he obviously doesn't because we are still sitting here talking, then, then why does he do that? Why does he put this in here? I want to propose to you because he wants us to get that he still can kill you. I want to propose to you that there's no, theologically ma- no theological magic here, that the author wants you to be actually kind of concerned and go, oh, God kills wicked people. So maybe I should stop sinning. So think about it. Moses writes, and these are the people if you're looking at this and see this gets us kind of nervous because we know we're evil. But, but this is kind of a warning. He's just, this is very flippant. He was evil. God killed him. And I know this is hard, right? We think, we think, I mean, I, you know, I talk to people and I'm amazed. People think the Lord is kind of like, you know, Ellen, you know, kind of like just nice and happy and like, you know, kind of encouraging and does nice things for people. And he blesses you and he's kind of, he's kind of encouraging and funny. But man, we, he ain't going to be like slaughtering people. But see, I, you made him up. That's not, that's not the God of the Bible. You just, you just conjured him up out of your imagination. The God of the Bible kills people. He, he hates evil. And every once in a while, he says, you know what? You're just going to keep doing this. I'm going to kill you. And you go, oh, no, wait a minute. No, just, you know, I don't know if that's true. Let me continue on. Did I go too far? Let me show you something. Let me see if it... So look at this. Look at this. Let me give you some proof. You see this? So you go, no, well, okay, well, okay, Eric, that's just, that's just Old Testament. God all mad and, you know, he's all upset. He's still tripping off the flood, you know. He's just, you know, you know, we had to lighten up. And then we got the New Testament. Jesus came. He's all, he ain't, he ain't about to off people no more. It's just acts. Okay, this is after the resurrection. Right? Just, the Bible says, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, you ever heard of this story? Okay, they're going around, you know, and I'm just going to shoot down real quick. Uh, Verse four says, I'm sorry, let me just go. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? They sold some land. And here's why they died, because they said they were going to give a certain amount to the Lord and they didn't give that amount. I love the fact they didn't die just because they didn't tithe. They died because they lied. They said they don't get 15 G, they gave him 10. God said, you trying to tempt me? You're dead. <laughs> right? If they would have said, I got 20, but I'm going to get a Lord 10, I don't think they would have died. He's frustrated. Don't play me like I'm not real. And so the scripture says, you know what? It says, you know, uh, verse 4, didn't, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposable? Can you have said anything you wanted to say? Then you had a freedom to tell the truth. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. You died because you lied. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. I love this. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. She didn't know she was a widow. Peter asked her, let me see what she, let me see what this woman says. Can you imagine Pete? I love how you kind of street with it. Now, now, so far, tell me, 
is this the price you Ananias got for the land? Yes. She could have said no. She could have said, man, I almost, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. But she said, yes, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out too. He killed him. And guess what? Great fear seized the church. And people came to Christ. Because people got it. People got it. They heard these events and says, the great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. People were like, oh my goodness. At that church, people dying when you lie. You know, this ain't Creflo Dollar's church. This is a real church. They actually dying. You see that? So I just want to propose to you, I don't want to, I just want to, when you see this thing, this stuff in the Bible, don't just gloss over it. God wants it to be a warning to you and me to say sin is serious. And many of us, we just think, no, I'll just keep, I'll keep cheating on my wife. I'll keep just conniving and put myself in the best position. I'll keep making the world about me and I'll be okay. And then God says, every once in a while, I'll make an example out of you. And one day your heart's going to explode and no one will know why. And you know the sad thing, the scary thing, is we don't believe that. You're sitting right now, and you don't believe that you can walk out of here, and it's only by God's grace that he doesn't look at your sin and says, you're dead right now. And you die in that parking lot, or you die on the street. Because sin is serious. And he wants you and me to take sin serious, and holiness serious. The author's intent is for you and me to recognize that, man, I could have been dead like that many times over. Man, so he dies, guys. Um, man, verse 8. Look what it says here, guys. So he has two sons now. Verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan. Okay, so Judah says to Onan, because now uh, lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. Okay? So now... Judah is like, man, okay, what's going on here? Man, my son died. She's a widow now. What do you do? In, in 4,000 years ago, the tradition was, and it was for the desire of protecting the women, is that if the, if the, if the, if the husband died and the woman was there, what the, what the, the next brother in line would marry the woman and actually continue on the family line. Uh, but it would be it would be not out of selfishness, because notice the whole point is to serve her is to make kids for her brother. Notice the text there. It's not like marry her and now to do your thing It's marry her and fulfill this reality that you need to be making offspring for your brother. You see that? Offspring for your brother. So. So that's what so that's that's the, sort of the mandate. That's sort of the motivation. That's the charge here. But notice what Onan does. It says, but Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. Okay, so now, how many of you guys, this has been a big masturbation verse? Have you heard, have you heard people bring this up? Because doing college ministry, man, you don't know how many homies I had to argue with about that this is... I mean, Christians, we, we, we want to make this a masturbation verse. This is why you shouldn't masturbate, because Jesus will kill you. Right? This would, and, and it's kind of weird to me, because 
I didn't think that counted as masturbation to have sex and then pull out. So I don't get it. Now, I know you guys are going, oh, my goodness, he's talking like this. Why is my pastor so perverted? He always talks about sex. That's not the case, guys. Let me tell you something. See, here's the thing that's weird. You guys, I talk about sex because our culture talks about sex. Look at this. The U.S. produced 89% of the pornographic web pages in the world. 244,661,900 web pages are pornographic pages in our country alone. Guys, we only got 300 million people. The average age of first exposure to internet pornography is 11 in our country. Pornography industry, industry generates $97 billion in annual revenue. $97 billion, hear this, yearly. Every year. Pornography revenue exceeds the revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. You know the channels we watch are free? Guys, we as a body need to be conversant about sex because our culture and our kids and you and I, if we're honest, are talking about it all the time and we're addicted. So we got to grow up and I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm a middle, I love having fun, but we got to talk about this stuff. Okay. Because the world's talking about it. I'm sorry. One second, guys. There was one more. Pornography revenue in the U.S. is larger than football, baseball, and basketball franchises combined. Can you imagine? Craziness. So it's very important. Look what it says in the scriptures. This is not a text about masturbation, I propose. Um, I'm not going to get into my, my theological prowess on masturbation. What we do know is, is that if you are lusting, you are sinning. Okay? That's clear as day. Personally, if you're masturbating and you're not lusting uh, as a guy, I don't know how you do that. That's awesome. Praise the Lord for you. Um, Um, yeah, I've never done it like that, but, but, um, so, so I think this is, this is deeper than, well, what's masturbation, what's sin in that way. The focus here, guys, notice the scriptures say, uh, um, notice what he says here. What verse are we in? We're in verse, verse 10. It says, but only knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So he put him to death also. Notice. Okay, now why did he put him to death? Well, I propose to you, he put him to death not because of the issue of just spilling the seed as far as the sense of masturbation. He put him to death because what his, his, his spilling of the seed was a clear model of his deep selfishness. Let me, let me, let me say it another way. So he wanted the fun, but not the responsibility. Look at this. So, so this is our world. See, this gets, this gets close to home. See, what he wanted, he wanted to have sex, okay? 
But he did not want, he did not want it to be about him caring for, he didn't want to feel the responsibility of, as the next brother, having kids, first of all, and then, and then being willing to say, they're for my brother. He didn't want to step up and do what he was supposed to do as a man. He died because he lacked responsibility. See, this hits close to home because this is our community. When we go, this is, this is filtered into our culture. Okay, people want to have sex, but what do we do? We, we have sex. Marriage is an option, so we want to have sex without marriage. No, this is have sex. Make love. This is have sex. This is have sex. Why do I get married? I, I'm, I'm faithful to you. I'm, I'm in your house, aren't I? Why do I get married? So we don't want to have responsibility, or we want to have marriage, right? And we're like, why do you want me to have kids? We don't have kids. Why do we got to have kids? Why do we, to, and we don't want to have kids. I want to propose that when you look at the theological mandate, and I'm going to step on some toes here, that if you can, the Bible is encouraging that all of it fits together. That we get married, and when you get married, now you can have sex. And when you have sex, it's not just for you to, to ejaculate, but it's for you to now eventually also procreate. Now, so you don't know what about, what, should I just keep having kids forever? Don't be silly. Like, there's a point where your marginal utility decreases the economic term where you become less of, an, of, a, of, a, of a value for the kingdom when you run around just chasing all your 15 kids. Okay? So it's always about kingdom. And so soon as you can't be about kingdom because you've got to feed 500 kids, you might want to pray about, Lord, maybe I need to calm down this, what I'm doing here. Okay, but that's so. So hear me here, guys. That's our community. Our community. We are we are in a community of fatherless where we have men who want to impregnate women and then leave. Okay, where we have we want to we want to have sex and we don't want to get married. It's the exact same kind of deal. This this practically looks like someone who. You're married, and the, the, the wife says, hey, can, uh, can, we, can we have some kids sometime? And you go, let's just wait a couple more years. Let's wait a couple more years. Let's wait a couple more years. Think about it. He dies. The Bible says God sees his selfishness and sees that he's about his, his own business. And God kills him. Let me continue on. Responsibility, guys. It says, it says um, verse 11. We're in verse 11 now. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. Okay? And notice this. I don't know what this is saying about, about Judah's daddy skills. Because all I'm saying is you got two kids that are, have, are dead. All right, because they're just being wicked in the Lord's sight. And so you have this. I, I'm proposing to you that the author is trying to paint a picture that's kind of like at some level, Judah's been dropping a ball. OK, something's going on because these kids are wilding out. All right. Some selfish, other sons wicked. They're dead. And look what he does here. He tries to hedge his bets. You see what he's doing there? The scriptures say it says, uh, for he thought in the middle of verse 11, he may die, too, just like his brothers. Not, not, now, see, it's not one of those things where, if you notice, the author's telling you, 
It was clear that he was wicked. It was clear the other boy was selfish. So I don't think he's saying he might die too because guys just killed all my kids. It's kind of coming off. He might die too because all my sons kind of foul. So he's holding up. He's holding up and he's going, well, let me just make sure you make it, brother. And then I'll hook y'all up. So this is our story. So we're starting off. We're in unbeliever territory. We're going down. Son's dropping dead because of sin. God takes sin seriously. It seems like we take ourselves seriously and not God. Right. I love how, man, you can you can joke about God forever. You start joking about somebody about themselves. They go, oh, man. What do you say about me? Man, why don't you get that frustrated when I'm talking about the Lord? So um, the scriptures read. We're in verse 12 now. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. Okay, so here's the thing. We're going to get a glimpse into the character of Judah, guys. So Judah makes a promise to his, his, uh, his daughter-in-law, puts her in a house, cool. But now we have an issue. So his wife dies. And it says, when Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep. And his friend Hirah, the Adulamite, went with him. So you know some drama about to break out. A couple things first. First we see he goes up. Uh, Timnah is the place that you, you, you read about with, uh, with Samson. And that's where his exploits are lie. So when you get further in the scriptures, you'll read about this again. And the sheep shearing time is like, it's like, it's like party time. So it's a big festival. Uh, so this is where you go kick it. So he's about to go kick it. So who does he grab? He grabs his boy. He grabs his, he grabs the, the center, right? Come, come party with me, okay? Um, look what he says. Look what it says here. How far are we? Okay, cool. You're 13. All right. So it says, um, when, Tamar, when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her Widow's clothes covered herself with a veil to disguise herself and then sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had not grown up, had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. What happened here, guys? You see that? That's right. D. So 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 he says, hey. I see what happened. Son died. Other son played you. You've been used by two of my sons. Come stay at my house. When this guy grows up, I'm going to give him to you. We're going we're gonna to make it happen this time. Well, she's waiting. She's trusting. Here's an unbeliever. You talk about witness. She's an unbeliever. She joins a believing family. She sits in this family as a woman, as helpless, right? And she is hoping that these men will lead her in Christ. She's hoping that these men will love her well. Uh, one dude get, dies out of wickedness. This other guy does not fulfill his marital vow. And then the daddy says, hey, well, I'll take care of you. But then she waits and waits and waits. And he never fulfills his promise to give her son to this woman. Now, she sins, but it's really sad that it seems that lack of leadership was a big reason. It's really sad that it seems that because the absenteeism of a man, again, is the reason why this woman goes, well, what am I going to do? You see that? For she saw that Sheila had, he's, he's, he's grown. What are we waiting for, man? I've been living here for how long? When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. So now here's the sad thing. So sin, so sin begets sin. So he sins because of lack of leadership, silence, right? And then she says, and just what women do, I'm going to take matters in my own hand. 
This is playing perfectly as what the fall says. This is what the fall says. It says that we will be insecure, right? So we don't know how to lead. So we either put you in the head like and start beating on you or we cower like little punks. Right. And then what you do because of our lack of leadership, if we're not filled with the spirit, you get frustrated instead of praying for us and graciously coming to us and saying, how do I point you to Christ? She's an unbeliever. I don't even know if she gets that that pedigree yet. She says, well, I got to do what what I'm called to do. I'm called to step on you. I'm called to take over because you're not leading. I'll lead. Let me look like a whore and let me try and get sex from you because you're not helping the way you said you were. So she takes matters into her own hands, family. Are we not seeing this in our body? Are we not seeing this in our community? We're, men, we're not stepping up, guys. And then the women have to be the man and the woman and have to step up. And they have to do ungodly, sinful things. Hey, her sin's on her. Hear me there. But you've got to see the lack of leadership and how that affected things. Look what happens, guys. Look at this story. Um, it says, when Judah saw her, he, he thought she was a prostitute for she covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. What are you going to give me? You want me to, what? I'll send you a young goat from my flock. You know, he said, prostitution, right? The essence, the nucleus of prostitution is an exchange, Right? So here you got goats and stuff. And I'm just so sad. I wonder if our, in our community, you know, you're exchanging sex for, you know, nice dinners and or driving a nice car, notoriety of knowing some drug dealer or something stupid. But man, don't sell yourself as a prostitute for goofy, stupid men. I'm talking to our, our awesome ladies in this body. You hold out for a godly man. Don't you let nobody talk you and fake their way. And I'm, I'm godly and all they, you know, I always say, they say Jesus when they stub their toe. That's a very bad sign of their passion for Jesus. You need to settle and you need to wait for a man who deeply loves the Lord. Look at, you know, this is crazy. So she says, what are you going to give me? You know, she's acting like a prostitute now. Look at this. And it says, I'll send you a young goat for my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. Give me a pledge. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal in this cord and the staff in your hand. She answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her clothes, her widow clothes again. You notice that, the duplicative lifestyle? Notice, notice the key things that we can learn there. Notice how we are as people. Notice how we do this. This is, that's all that was, was the internet. That's all that was. We, the scariest thing about us today, guys, is, man, we have, Satan has cultivated a whole system where you can sin without anyone knowing. That our world today, there's just, there's just myriad of ways for you to be two or three different people, and no one ever knows. And then you, you wonder why I'm scared to put my kids in this and that. It's like, man, I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, you start counseling cash, you'd be like, man, you ain't even a house, Connor. This world, we are we are crazy, and the sad thing is, at least you can you had you had other you had people who were in a family and they were in community, and so they had to wrestle with their sin and they had to deal with stuff. Now you can have your computer and you can have a whole fake life. You can have your Facebook and you can have your porn addictions and you can have your shopping addictions and you can have your 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 sports addictions, and no one ever knows, ever. And you go in and you're like, hey, bye bye. And you, and you come in and you're shaking because you, 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 needed a, you needed a fix. 
It's amazing. It's absolutely scary that this right here, what she did, she said, oh, I did that. And she dressed back up. Oh, I'm a widow. You know, before that, she was like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, how did that happen? Really? So we do that, right? It's scary. So <laughs> I don't know where I came from. Look at this, guys. After she left. So verse 20. Meanwhile, Judas sent the, uh, look what he does. He sends a young goat by his friend, Adulamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman. Look, every time he does something foul, I just, look at what the author does. He just keeps bringing in this dude. This, I mean, this poor brother, he's getting a mad, I mean, this rap. I mean, you can imagine in glory. I mean, you know, he obviously is an unbeliever. I mean, just every time his name comes up, he's just selling goats for hookers. and I mean, it's crazy. So it says, in order to get his pledge back for the woman, but he did not find her. So he goes, he sends his lightweight. Go find this woman for me. Uh, verse 21, he asked the men who live there, where is the shrine prostitute? Why does it say shrine prostitute? Because they never mentioned that before. Who is beside the road of the name? Uh, shrine prostitute basically is almost like a, a call girl. So it's almost like bigger than a prostitute. You know, you got your, you got your hookers on Mac and Bewick, right? But then you got the call girl, the 197 whatever, and you paid them 520 G. They're all doing the same thing, but they think they're a little more classy. That's what a shrine prostitute is. Who's beside? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the man who lives there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Verse 23, then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. A little snapshot into that. Two things he does. So first, he's, he's, he's nervous. See, sin finds you out. And this is something that I'm telling you in my life and all of our lives, we got to understand something. God has shown us time and time again in history and in our lives. And as we watch people, he will put you on blast whenever he wants. He'll be gracious to you and say, I know that you're doing that. I know that you're addicted to this. I know that you're doing this. Now, I'm going to give you a chance to stop. I'm going to give you another chance to stop. I'm going to give you a chance to repent. And then eventually, he's like, Ted Haggard, I'm going to put you on the news. And everybody's going to know, and here's how cool I am. People still going to come to Christ. People still going to get saved. Guess what, Ted? What about you? I guess I'm really in the king. See, that's the thing. The, the Billy Graham could be find, found out having three prostitutes and the world would go, man, that's messed up. But it will not thwart God's plan because God is bigger than any man. And so the Lord wants us to get that. So it's like, no, no, no. See, you, you have an opportunity. Here's what's happening here. The Lord has given this man an opportunity. He said, he, 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 then he justifies. He says, you know, well, I, try, I tried to give her a go. This blows me away. My mom, this is a funny story. He says, I tried to give her a goat, but she wasn't there. Almost justifying the sin. You know, like, you know, like, well, at least I tried to, you know, pay her, but she wasn't there. I never heard my mother say it one night. We laughed at this day. She was like, Eric, you know what? When we, she got mad. She saw our, our family. We're in New York and they were selling drugs and stuff. And there was some baby in the backseat of the car. My mother said, I can't believe this. Selling drugs like that. See, when we sold drugs, we, we never sold drugs at night. No, no, I'm sorry. She said, she, no, she said, we never sold drugs. We always waited for you guys to go to bed before we sold our drugs. We're like, okay, that's really cool, Mom. <laughs> really? I mean, it's amazing. We can justify anything. 
His little mom, a crack dealer, she was justifying when she showed crack. That made her better than the other crack dealers. This guy, yeah, well, at least I tried to give her, you know, a goat. Really? But, but I say that the whole life. So you see the laughingstock piece, or we will become a laughingstock. Two lives. Here he is, you know, trying to trying to fit this thing together. How does it, you know, how do I keep the sin away from me? How do I how do I how do I continue to keep these two different lives away so people don't know I'm doing this? Look what it says here. About three months later, Judah was told, "Your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. As a result, she is now pregnant." Judah said, "Bring her out and have her burn to death. Kill her." Really? So. Can you imagine? He doesn't know. Imagine this. He's saying that. She knows he's saying that. And she knows it was him. Now, if that was me, I'd have, been, I'd have put him on blast like crazy. Look how classy she is. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. She hands him the keys to the car. You know. You know what I'm saying? Hands with a social security card, whatever the exchange was. And she said, and she added, see if you recognize who's still in court and staff these are. Now, now this is, this is where the, tour, the story is awesome, guys. Look what happens here. We, here's, here's the point of the story. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, guys. This is the point of the story that's huge for the person who really wants to hear. Look what happens here. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I. Since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. You see what happened there? Do you see what happened there? Can I do this just to be faithful to the text? I'm going to walk through the text and I want to jump back to that text. Because that's probably the pinnacle of, of what the author wanted to show us. And then we have some historical accounts. Let me walk down here. It says, when the time came for to give birth, there were twin boys. So she had twin boys. And as they were... Um, Giving birth, one of them sticks her hand out, whoop, right? Uh, it says, put, put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on the wrist of his hand, his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, which is that, can you imagine how horrible that is? The baby put his hand back in the body. And he says, so this is how you have broken out. Uh, because, uh, and she, and he was named Perez because Perez means to break out. Uh, then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out and he was given the name Zera, which I'm proposing that this is almost like just insight. The author's trying to help us see that this continually striving and struggling as brothers and family will continue to happen in the line. You pop back to this. Here is where he could have made an excuse. Here is where he could have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, but, but look what she did. See, this is a time where he had a lot of say in his words compared to a woman. He could have totally put her under the bus. He could have lied. He could have said, well, you, here's why I was grieving and I, I just lost my girl and, and she did this. And she, he, could, he could have blamed shift like crazy, guys. Don't miss that. He didn't have to do what he did. You understand? He did not have to do what he did. But look what, he, look what it says here. He pauses. He recognized it. He saw his stuff. And for whatever reason, God's grace allowed him to go, I am going to fully own my sin. He just stopped. No excuses. No, but if I would have done this. No, well, if this would have happened this way. No, but only if my sons would have been alive. Nothing. The man just paused and says, wow. He says, guess what? They're going to put her out. They're about to kill her. They're walking her out. And he says, she is more righteous than I. 
Because I wouldn't give her to my son Sheila. Not only did he recognize the sin, he tells him the sin. Guess what that lets you know? He knew what he had done wrong the whole time. He didn't go, so man, why would you, why were you out there like a prostitute? Why, why you didn't come to me? It was none of that soap opera stuff. He knew. He just says it. I didn't do what I was supposed to do as a leader. That's why she was on the stroll. That's why she was on the street. Look what he says here. He says, she's more righteous than I. Not that she's more holy, but guess what? If you're going to kill somebody, kill me. That's what that language is. He's saying, she's more righteous than I. I'm the, you're you're, you're going to kill her. Don't put her to death. Put me to death. And look what, he, look what it says here. Now notice this. Don't miss this part. People, we missed this part. Look what it says right after that. And he did not sleep with her again. Extremely important. Why do you think the author puts that there? Just, for, just to let you know the information? No. What he's showing you something? He's showing me something, family? He's showing me the difference between simply confession and confession and repentance. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Because guess what we're good at? Confession. We're good at confession. We're good at going, oh, Lord, look what I did. Oh, man, I did that. Oh, man, look what I did. But see, confession is admitting of wrongdoing. We can, I feel like we can do that. That's hard to do for some of us, but man, that's the, that, we, we can get there. But now stopping the act in which you confessed. Now we're dealing with Christianity. Now we're Christians. Now we're going, whoa, I did this. And now I need to stop. That's what he does. The scriptures show you that this man very clearly said, and I never put a hand on her again. Cause sin, sin. I confessed it. I acknowledge it and I didn't excuse it. I'm recognizing sin. Do you see the theme here, guys? Look at the author. The theme. Beginning. Men die. Because of sin. And it seems like this guy gets it. Man, I'm sinning. I need to stop. Guys, when you look at this, when you look at the story, it's clear sin finds you out. The Lord wants you to understand. He wants me to understand, guys, that sin will be dealt with. The sin will be dealt with. And here's the question we got to ask ourselves. Are you quick to confess but not repent? I'm telling you, I really think we have a theology in American evangelicalism, where almost confession is like Christianity 301. Like, you really is like, no, you, you confess, and then you like, you just, aren't we just called to just be confessing and be honest about our sin? And we can think that's the mode of operation for Christianity. Like, that's just, that's, like, that's, the, that's the pinnacle. Like, okay, now we, we're cool. I was honest. Yeah, I did that to you. No. The Bible says confess and repent. Repentance. Now, here's a, here's a cool thing, though. But that's not just what the text is sharing, okay? And then we're going to go home. The text is sharing that not only all those things are happening, but there's room for us. See, the beauty of the story is not to keep your focus on the sin. The beauty of the story is to see sin, confess it, repent, and understand, oh, my goodness, there's room for all of us. Look at what the story shows. Oh, man, it's too low. Let me read this. Oh, my goodness.
See? But he recovered, so get off his back. That's my man. All right. Look, look what the Bible says. Look at this. Who do we just talk about? We just talked about Judah and Tamar, craziness, got sleeping with prostitutes, she became a prostitute, all this drama, she's not even, she's not even an Israelite, okay? Which, oh, by the way, so she's not even an Israelite, look what the scriptures say, Matthew 1, verse 2 and 3, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Guess what? That same woman, who was a prostitute, okay? Who, who, who connived her way in having sex with her daddy-in-law is in the first two verses of the new beginning of Jesus' story. This is where the story, the new beginning, as far as it says, the new beginning, almost like God is ushering in his kingdom. Here's where it starts. Let me give you the family line. Guess who stars, who stars it off? We got Tamar. The hooker is Jesus' great-great-great-great-grandmother. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Do you see the hope there? Do you see what he's saying to you and me? Any of you sit here and I'm just saying, I don't know if I'm going to be at a... He's like, no! Dust yourself off by God's Spirit and realize he's saying anyone can do anything in Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you look at that lineage, that should encourage all of us to understand, wow, Lord, and I'm part of that story. Joy. Not, oh, yeah, I got all the sin in my life. Oh, look at the weight of the sin. Oh, is this hope. No, no, no. It's breaking free, going because of Christ. I'm a part of a genealogy. That's the beauty of the story. The story is that she didn't do anything. Where do you see her doing anything in the story but being a hooker? And yet God says, she's my grandmama. Come on, y'all. Look what it says in Hebrews. He whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at an altar. He's trying to prove his, he's proving his godness. Um, he says, for it is clear that our Lord descended from where? Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. They, they try, they're tripping. They're like, hold up. You're supposed to be a tribe of priests, but you're a king too, but you're in Judah. I mean, it's blowing their minds, these Jews. They can't believe it. Judah, really? Judah, the, the guy who sold his brother, who slept with a prostitute, whose sons dying off because they're evil, who lied to the girl and didn't do what she was supposed to do. That guy, that guy, you're going you're gonna to tell me, you're going to mention that guy over 800 times in the Bible? 800 times? What is God trying to say to you and me? He's trying to say, you've got to have hope. You've got to quit looking past, you've got to look past your stuff and your circumstances and keep looking at the cross. He said, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta rejoice. You gotta realize that there's a, t- there's a place for you too in God's kingdom. But only if you do, like you see done. And that is, you confess and you repent. And you trust your Savior. You just depend on Jesus. That's the story, guys. That's the story. Revelation 5 5. Look at that. Revelation, book of beginnings, Genesis, book of endings, or new beginnings, I shall say. Revelation 5, look what it says. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah? Come on, y'all. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do tithe and offering. Guys, I just want you to be encouraged.